The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome back. You are listening to The Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your host for the afternoon, Michelle Jawando. Always great to be with you on The Leslie Marshall Show, being a part of the family here, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., on the cusp of the first Trump address to Congress. I refuse to call it a state in the union. As soon as I found out that technically it can't be a state of the union if it doesn't happen in January. So I refuse to give him any credit for anything at all whatsoever um, because I am a proud member of the resistance and I'm really excited uh, to have another opportunity to join you. If you want to join the conversation, whether you're with the resistance or not, I'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. You know, there's always way too many things to talk about, but I'm always glad that I have great people who can join me in these conversations. So joining me back in studio after a little hiatus away, none other than Emily Tish Sussman. She's the campaign director here at the Center for American Progress Action Fund. You can find her on Twitter, her and her dogs at E-M-T-S-U-S-S. Emily, welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> also joining in studio is none other than Anson Kay, a first-timer to the show, and so we're glad that he's with us on today. He's a partner at GMMB, and you can find him on Twitter at AEWK. Anson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And last but definitely not least, he's a senior vice president of the Global Strategy Group, none other than Matt Cantor. You can find him on Twitter at Matt, M-A-T-T-C-A-N-T. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here with all of you. So, you know, there's so much to talk about, but I wanted to get started today with some politics. So over the weekend, the DNC election occurred in Atlanta, resulting in a new chairman, former Labor Secretary Tom Perez. You know, it was interesting because many people referred to this as a really hotly contested race, um, seeing as though it took two rounds of voting before they came to a decision. There was a split within the party between quote-unquote the progressive wing and quote-unquote the establishment centrist wing um, and moments after Tom Perez's wing you saw Ellison supporters chanting party for the people not big money um, Perez however immediately moved to name Ellison as deputy chair so let me just tell you guys I have to I have to admit that when I saw the the chance after he won I was like, what are these people doing? And, you know, Emily, I'll, I'll just start with you because I'm like, we have a man in the White House who literally has been there for less than 30 or less than 40 days now and is seeking to, like, deport millions of people from this country. And you're upset about a DNC chair? I'm sorry. I was very in my feelings. Very yeah, I mean, I, I think the... 
the the dramatization of the establishment versus the outsider. I think honestly that was a little bit of leftover feelings from the campaign and not really attached to the reality of who these two are mm-hmm. and specifically who Tom Perez is. Mm-hmm. He is a labor leader. He is a civil rights leader. Everyone who's ever worked for him is obsessed with him. <laughs> I mean, not to speak in hyperbole here, yes. but really, I mean, he is very, very beloved. Yeah. And I think that what we're seeing right now is that people all over the country are saying, I matter. I want my voice mm-hmm. heard. We're seeing that in town halls and heavy Republican districts. Mm-hmm. And so people like this idea of there being going back to Democrats having more of a 50 state strategy of really, so, you know, not just um, consolidating resources into places they think they can win, but really propping up Democrats up and down the ballot. And Tom Perez is totally, you know, not only on board with that, he's really he's championing that. So mm-hmm. I, I think that once people can you know, get over maybe a bit of a sour grapes moment that they will really feel like he's a great leader for the party. Yeah, Anson. I, I, I think I would just say to folks, you know, honestly, we're staring down the barrel of a lunatic in the White House, in my <laughs> view. I mean, honestly, yes. he's a crazy guy. So, look, I, I worked to try to help elect Hillary Clinton for 18 months. I understand that there are strong feelings on both sides. But mm-hmm. you know what? Let's express them. I think it was maybe nine people, by mm-hmm. the way, who stood up on their chairs mm-hmm. and did mm-hmm. that. And so I think, you know, we should keep it in, in perspective. But it's we have a lot of work to do. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we got to, there's so much energy on the progressive side of the aisle right now. And we have less than two years to make up ground uh, on uh, that we've lost in the last election, put some guardrails on the Trump agenda. That's right. we got to get this energy moving in one direction. And if you're still worried about the DNC chair, that is not what's happening. So you got to get going. Yeah. Matt, you spent a lot of time before you were in your current position kind of as a senior official over at the Democrat uh, Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. And I... And I wonder, you know, how you see this race and kind of some of the tension, how that plays out for the 2018 Senate races that we have before us. Well, it makes that's a very good question, Michelle. I have to be honest. It makes me a little anxious because Mm -hmm. I hope and I, 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 you know, I can't disagree with anything your other guest said. I agree strongly. I do want to be very respectful of folks who feel otherwise. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. you know, people who have been through these battles and feel that this is the battle that they need to wage at this point in time for the, to make sure that the Democratic Party is following the most progressive path it, it can possibly uh, uh, move forward on. I respect 100% where they're coming from. There are going to be times where I agree with them. There are going to be times where I disagree with them. But we all have to recognize that the, the battle ahead is fierce. And particularly in 10 different states that Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton in, we have to reelect a Democratic senator. And I pers- where I will adamantly disagree with my friends in the party um, is if they come to the table and say that unless every Democrat meets one specific litmus test, we're not going to support them, and we're just going to continue to whittle our numbers away in the U.S. Senate and allow Donald Trump to inch towards 60. Right, right. I mean, and this is this is not just about the majority anymore. If, if my friends on the left... Uh, where, uh, by the way, where I count myself, you know, want to debate, you know, the, the, the Democrats in the majority. That's not even the issue. We're just we need to block him from getting 60 votes, and every single Democratic senator goes a whole long way to doing that. So mm-hmm. that's to 
me, that's the fierce battle that lies ahead, and I think we have to very quickly put this battle behind us. I know that it was very emotional for a lot of people, and I, I respect that they feel that way, but yeah. but we have a lot of work to do. I mean, and, and I know you're all over the country right now looking at these town halls, seeing that energy. I mean... I think people are still really upset, and so maybe some of this is like displaced anger, but there's a lot to really legitimately be upset about right now. Oh, there are some real things <laughs> to be legitimately <laughs> upset about. You know, besides for families being torn apart and people being, being deported, the real, the, I'd say the most topical issue at the town halls all over the country has been health care. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a result of the. And this is not just Democrats. They're not just people on the left. Right. But these are people who are truly worried about their life-saving health care being taken away from them. And I think we see this as a result of people in the election. I think one of the, the greatest recaps I saw of this election is that Trump supporters took him seriously but not literally. Mm-hmm. And now they're learning to have to take him literally. Yeah. He said, yeah. I will repeal Obamacare. And that is, there are, you know, not just the 22 million people uninsured who now have insurance, but actually a piece of Obamacare is that it actually keeps insurance premiums for those who get into the job market down. That's right. So it really does actually impact everybody's health care. And people are now starting to realize what a world's going to look like without it. Yeah. But, you know, just back to the DNC quickly, I, I think it's important for us to talk about, you know, what the DNC is and what it isn't. That's right. And it is about party building. And it is about candidate recruitment. Mm-hmm. And it is about candidate development. But it's not everything. It's yeah. not the left. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so actually one of the things I'm even point. more excited about with the DNC, with the elections yesterday, was the vice chair, our friend Michael Blake, mm-hmm. who is a total rising star and upcomer within the party, someone that, you know, lives and works his, in his community. That's so true. Um, and is a real grassroots organizer. So I think having someone like him and leadership of the DNC is very important for the institution. Like, can I just, uh, I mean, I think that's exactly right. <clears throat> I do also think, though, that we have such an extraordinary amount of work to do, and Matt, who I've known for a long time, mm-hmm. and had I known to be on, I probably wouldn't have been on, just... Uh, <laughs> but, I, you know, you start with the Senate. I mean, you're really looking at also on the state level, I mean, there are probably 29 Republican governors Governor's up. There are nine Democrats. We got to keep all our Democratic seats. We got to probably win 15 of those governorships. And if we can't get past these sort of internal pieces where we're debating whether we should be celebrating the first Latino progressive chair of the DNC, that is not the right foot to be getting off. That's of. right. I cannot even believe that we're at the first break, but but we are. Um, and I know Emily, we're we're going to lose you because you have to continue to go save the world. But when we come back from break, Matt, I I want to just kind of pick up where Anson left and really talk about kind of the direction of the party, especially as we get ready for the first President Trump State of the Union address to Congress. So we will do that as soon as we come back. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you, and we'll be right back after the break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. This is 
the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your host for the afternoon, Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. And always love being with you. If you want to join in the conversation, go ahead and give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. I'm back in studio with Anson Kay. He's a partner at GMMB. And Matt Cantor joining us on the line. He's a senior vice president at Global Strategy Group. You can find Matt on Twitter at M-A-T-T-C-A-N-T-E-R or Anson on Twitter at A-E-W-K and you can follow along with the show at the Leslie Marshall Show or at Michelle with one L Jawando. So tomorrow uh, President Trump it's still so strange to say that President Trump will give his State of the Union address Um, some are referring to this as an address to a joint session rather than a state and Trump is expected to speak about the successes of his first month Month, as well as outlining his new plans. Um, you know, Matt, before we went to break, you know, you started to really talk about what the stakes were. You know, 60 votes in the Senate. You and I have both been there. We recognize how every single vote matters and what that means. You know, what are you anticipate hearing tomorrow um, at the State of the Union? What are you listening out for? Well, here's a surprise. I'm actually really excited about tomorrow, mm. and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. It's time to start debating some issues, mm. and that's that's hard because every single day this this and uh, this administration has done something totally outrageous um, on on issues of tremendous significance to our national security, to our democracy, etc. But he hasn't yet done the job of being president and working with Congress and moving forward on the policy agenda that he's laid out, that he said was going to happen sort of instantaneously, right? And I'm talking specifically about health care. I'm mm-hmm. talking about infrastructure. I'm talking about tax reform. Those are the things that he said were just going to be so easy and it was just going to happen immediately. It was going to be great. It was going to be wonderful. We're going to be so sick and tired of winning all the time. Well, I, I, I've missed that. That has not happened yet. Right. And I think because of that, we haven't been able to get into a real policy debate with these guys around these issues that are, frankly, I think the issues that speak most to, um, to, to regular Americans, people that don't live and breathe this stuff every day like you and I do. And these are the issues, how it's going to affect their life that they care most about. Mm-hmm. And on those issues, Donald Trump is in big big trouble. Because you look at the latest polling out there that came out just last week, 76% of Americans oppose lowering taxes on the wealthy. Yet that is exactly what this president and the Republican Party wants to do, and they're going to kick that that ball off tomorrow. uh, 54% are against repealing the Affordable Care Act, and that's Mm -hmm. exactly what they're going to want to do. So let's get into a real policy debate with this guy. I think that begins tomorrow night. That's right. So I don't know. I, I you know I hate to disagree with my good friend Matt, uh, <laughs> but I, I I think we heard his his State of the Union at CPAC, and mm. I, I think there's a reason that Donald Trump doesn't get into issues because he doesn't have to. I think if you look back at the presidential election, I think one of the things we learned was the price of admission for voters in this cycle has been the the to understand that you believe in something. 
right. and that you're willing to take risks for what you believe is almost more important than the details of your belief. Mm. So I think folks felt like Bernie believed something. Even yeah. if they weren't sure they agreed with everything, yeah. that was really powerful. Yeah. And they think that Donald Trump, probably the most dishonest person ever run for president, yep. really believed what he was saying. And That's I think right. he stays in the same ground he's been on. He attacks the media because he needs to do that to create yeah. space for administrations about the most untethered from reality in the mm-hmm. history of mankind. So he's got to <laughs> he's got to disqualify the finders of fact. Yeah. And then I think that he goes into his litany that appeals to sort of his core base. That's a pretty entire a, a pretty resentful bunch. He's going to kill Obamacare, go after immigration. He's going to reinforce those resentments that that motivate some of his supporters. And for folks who we saw a lot of in the election who were made a little uncomfortable by Trump's rhetoric, but still really give him a shot. He's going to give them uh, some of the more tried and true, I think, Republican talking points about cutting taxes, cutting regulations. But I'd be very surprised if he gets into details, because I think for him that's a strategic mistake. That's too hard for him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so the Action Fund here at the center put out uh, an analysis that basically in just his first few weeks of office, President Donald Trump's actions on the economy will cost the American middle class $189.5 billion. That's 13 that's right that's $1300 per middle class household you know i know and i mean if you think about some of the things that he's done and and i actually forgot because things have been coming so hot and heavy with this administration so he refused to defend um updating overtime standards which we know um would raise the incomes of people making over fifty thousand dollars he cut um insurance premiums so if you're a first-time home buyer it's going to cost more um and then issuing executive orders that rolled back many of the protections that you saw with wall street reforms and i think matt kind of making those kind of conversations if he's not going to do it i think you need to hear progressives and democrats step into that space and say no actually he is hurting you and there is an economic cost to this presidency yeah i i I agree with that i also think Anson's completely right about what makes strategic sense for, for, for Trump. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is at the end of the day, he either gets stuff done or he doesn't. Right, right. And, and, if he, and a lot of people elected this guy because he knows how to run a business. He knows how to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. And Lord knows he's got no excuse in Congress because Republicans run roughshod over the place. That's right. So, you know, at the end of the day, he's got to be able to get, deliver on some of these big ticket items or... He has to explain to people why he is incompetent, and then we may be having a we may be having a, a robust debate about his incompetence. We'll see if he if that's what he gives us, or he's going to try to engage. We're losing sight of the fact that at this point in the Obama presidency, the president had already signed the Economic Recovery Act into law. That's right. That's right. He had already delivered on big, big things that made a big difference to people. And, and we despite seen it. what, no matter what uh, any one voter may have thought, liked or disliked about that policy he delivered he got results and this president has failed to do that tomorrow night i assume begins his effort to actually move forward on some of these things and i'm i'm optimistic because what i've seen the first month or so mm-hmm. is just complete incompetence <laughs> tell me about it now matt you know matt and anson this went by way too fast they're going to have to bring you back after the state of the union this is michelle jawando on the leslie marshall show leslie marshall real people real life real talk 8886 leslie
Good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you. And so many thanks to my guests from the last segment. We had a really good time talking about the State of the Union and the latest on the DNC chair. So many thanks. But I wanted to keep the conversation going, and I am joined by uh, two friends. And it's always nice to kind of have a conversation and talk about the latest happening in Washington, D.C. with friends and colleagues. So joining me now, Pat Collier. He's the Director of Government Affairs here at the Center for American Progress. You can find him on Twitter at political, one word, noop, N-U-P-E. Pat, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. And for those who are uninitiated, NUP is a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. So that's where you get the little shout out there, Mr. Political NUP. Also joining us is none other than Fabrice Coles. He's the executive director of the Congressional Black Caucus. And you can find him on Twitter at official O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L-C-B-C, official C-B-C. Fabrice, welcome to the show. Hey, good afternoon. Uh, this is Fabrice. Thank you so much uh, for having us. Um, you know, very, very much looking forward to the conversation. And yeah, that Twitter handle is for the Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, you can follow us at official CBC. Thank you so much for having us today, Michelle. No, thanks so much for joining. So tomorrow, you know, we're going to get into a conversation before the President Trump's first address to Congress. Um, tomorrow morning, the new chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus. Cedric Richmond uh, will be joining us here at the Center for American Progress for an event. And if you're in the D.C. area, you can go ahead and join us between 1030 and 12 tomorrow. But it's really supposed to be a conversation about kind of where black America finds itself at the outset of the Trump administration. You know, for Breeze, the CBC made news last week when April Ryan noted uh, White House reporter was questioned from Donald Trump, who it seemed like did not know who the CBC was, first off. And I don't know if you saw that exchange, but it, it seemed like uh, our president wasn't as familiar with who the Congressional Black Caucus is and all that they do. Do you want to just share with our listeners a little bit about the CBC and kind of what were your thoughts when you saw that interaction take place? Thank you, Michelle, uh, for that question. Um, yeah, the Congressional Black Caucus has been around since 1971. Um, you know, there have been you know black members of Congress prior to that time, but it formally was established in 1971. Um, and we've been, my mem- my bosses, colleagues, I should say, have been uh, known as the conscience of the Congress, speaking to issues that are important, um, not only to the black community, but to underserved communities across the country and across the world, um, you know, focused on the difficult conversations that many in Congress often shy away from. Uh, you know, it's on the, on, the, on the interaction between the president and April Ryan, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, there are discussions underway right now in terms of scheduling such a meeting. Um, and, you know, I think that in any such meeting, members of the Con- Congressional Black Caucus will simply be able to have the opportunity to educate the president about the challenges faced by the first by the African American community um, and by broadly, you know, underserved Americans at large, no matter their color. Um, you know, especially in light of the upcoming fiscal conversations, uh, which are going to be facing all all of the members of Congress in general. 
uh, you know, it's a good opportunity to kind of discuss things that matter to uh, mm-hmm. black communities, but also to those in underserved communities across the country. And Pat, you know, what are you planning or what do you think uh, we're going to hear tomorrow? And then in particular, you know, how do you think the members of the CBC will be able to kind of respond based on what we're anticipating? Well, I think uh, Fabrice kind of hit the nail on the head. The CBC has long been the, the conscious of, of, of Congress and, uh, you know, in large parts, really just the American people. And my guess is that tomorrow night we'll hear a lot of the same uh, political rhetoric. We'll probably hear prospectively about some policies or proposals that will reinforce a lot of the things that we've seen the first few days of this administration. And so it'll be even more important for groups like the CBC to be steadfast in their oversight of, of, of this administration. So I know we have a caller. Let's take a quick caller from the line, Michael from the Bronx. Welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. Good, good, um, good day, everybody. Thank you, you know, so much. Um, the, the Congressional Black Caucus is probably one of the many victims of Mr. 45. I can't even bring myself to calling him president. <laughs> I might take that from you, Michael. Mr. 45. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But see, the thing is, is that the phrase that he uses is so-called, referring to his critics as so-called angry people of paid liberals, which is a crock. Like he uses the phrase so-called when comes to the judge or judges that rule against him. Mm-hmm. So called I take as a slap in the face as a we don't exist. Like who does he think we are? He thinks we're Fred Flintstone, he thinks we're the Tasmanian devil or the wicked witch of the West. I mean, people need to wake up and smell the coffee of what this guy is about, thinking that he is totally flawless and everybody loves him. Wrong. If he was to say that the enemy is as I I threw out a bunch of fictional characters, but if he was to say any one of those fictional characters is the enemy, then people will believe that. And my proof, you still got those that say, keep the Affordable Care Act, but get rid of Obamacare. Mm-hmm. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, I think Pat and Fabrice, Michael makes a good point that in some ways the CBC, and particularly with um, the new chairman, Cedric Richmond from Louisiana, coming in that people anticipate the CBC almost being as a part of the resistance or opposition. And we've seen leaders, everyone from Gregory Meeks to Maxine Water, really standing up and talking specifically about some of the concerns from the CBC. How has, you know, members of the caucus um, for Breeze really been interacting during this season? You know, I think that the members of the Congressional Black Caucus are continuing their leadership uh, and their service as the conscience of the Congress, speaking up on issues that are problematic. Um, You know, as in any administration, um, you know, there's a number of kind of transitions underway. Uh, Members of the caucus have thus far been very vocal um, in criticism where it's deserved and also have explored, uh, you know, admittedly, um, some of the limited uh, areas of cooperation which may present themselves uh, on one of which of these items may be HBCUs, depending on uh, the direction of leadership that the White House wants to provide there. Uh, but, you know, the members of the caucus have been supporting HBCUs for decades, and we're going to continue in our long service to that, in that regard. More broadly, I would just say this, you know, 
as I said, the members of the caucus are the conscience of the Congress. Anytime there's some kind of reprehensible um, action or policy proposal put forward by the administration or by anybody, you're going to hear the members of the Congressional Black Caucus speak out loudly and intelligently about these issues, representing the interests of their constituents. Mm-hmm. Pat. Uh, yeah, I think similarly, uh, uh, I, I think here at CAP, we're, we're uh, looking critically at the administration to make sure that uh, we hold their feet to the fire uh, with respect to a lot of the, the promises that they've made around HBCUs. Uh, we'd like to see the president make good on. on and for our statement. listeners who may not be familiar, HBCU stands for Historically Black Colleges and Universities. That's right. <laughs> um, and, you know, we we have long, you know, a lot of the history and importance of HBCUs for communities of color, specifically African-American communities. And so we'd like to see uh, this administration make good on its promise to to uh, these, these HBCU presidents. You know, when we come back from the break, we'll be joined um, by our colleague, Danielle Solomon. She leads the Center for American Progress 2050 um, team. And I wonder if we can add to this conversation, you know, the State of the Union is supposed to be when you lay out your policy proposals, where you say, this is what I'm going to be doing for an America that I envision. But thus far, kind of the proposals that have directed towards the communities of color have been kind of those with quote unquote law and order, where we hear things about deportation, we hear um, a pathology about black communities that's rooted, rooted in poverty and crime and blight. So when we come back from the break, I really want to talk about how we deal with that challenge moving forward, because we know that's not the truth. um, But, you know, this president has some issues with truth, but not here on The Leslie Marshall Show. This is Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be right back after the break. Leslie Marshall, the simple truth in a complicated world. 888-6-LESLIE. on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be back with you. And I'm joined back in studio with Fabrice Coles. He's executive director um, at the Congressional Black Caucus. You also will have in studio with me my friend Pat Collier, the director of government affairs here at the Center for American Progress. And last but definitely not least, joining us for this segment, Danielle Solomon. She is the director of the 2050 program here at the Center for American Progress. And you can find her on Twitter at Danny, D-A-N-Y-I-N-D-C. So, Danielle, before we went to break, you know, we I wanted to highlight that, you know, this administration, the State of the Union, is supposed to be their opportunity to lay out their plans for this country. Um, and I, you know, when you think about what is he going to say about 
communities of color and African Americans in particular, it gets you nervous because what right. you've seen has not been something that you're necessarily um, has has been any type of real constructive plan in any way. Right. No, I agree. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, I agree. I hope that he uses this opportunity to actually provide the American people, especially the African American population, with a comprehensive plan uh, of ways to help the community. I mean, I think what we've heard from President Trump, even before he was President Trump, candidate Trump, were a lot of bumper stickers, lots of dog whistles, uh, thing, mm -hmm. false facts mm -hmm. about the black community. I think he has shown us that he doesn't know very much about the black community. Uh, all black people do not live in inner cities. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a huge black population in the South that lives <laughs> in the country. Um, you know, I think that he needs to lay out real policy that will impact our communities in a positive way. I think he needs to follow that up with actually dedicated funding. You know, it's very easy to say, um, you know, oh, I support HBCUs. It's very different to ensure that the budget actually follows in line with that and there's money delivered to the door. That's right. Um, That's I right. think it's I think it's a testament also um, in regards to who he has nominated to run some of these agencies who have a very long history of not being supportive of, um, for example, the Department of Education. He has nominated and now we have a Secretary of Education who wants to defund public education. That's right. Yet we know most children of color go to public schools. So what does that mean for our kids of color? I also think the fact that we have uh, a new Secretary of HUD that grew up, ironically, in public housing, um, who is a doctor, lacks to understand or see the difference um, in the fact that, you know, there are environmental issues that cause the health disparities we see in the black population, right? So it's not just about uh, heart disease mm -hmm. or um, diabetes. It's also about uh, growing up in uh public housing that has lead paint. That's right. Or, right. you know, right. they're living in food deserts where there's not a place where you can get fresh fruit that doesn't cost $5 for an apple and That's how right. all of those environmental issues kind of impact health outcomes. So it's a complicated conversation, one that deserves a comprehensive policy strategy, not one that is filled with bumper sticker answers or dog whistles that, you know, breed fear um, and are, are simple, not real results for our communities across the country. And 140 characters or, or less. Um, Fabrice, I'm going to come to you um, in one second, but let me take a question from Dean from Buffalo. Uh, Dean, uh, oh, well, I think, Dean, we, we just lost you, but thank you so much for calling in. But Fabrice, let me uh, just turn back to you. Uh, you know, Danielle laid out, you know, some of the things that she's anticipating or she wants to hear. You know, are there members from the caucus who you you plan on hearing from or are doing their own kind of response to the administration tomorrow evening? Uh, yeah, so you'll definitely see uh, the chairman involved. You'll see uh, various members of the caucus responding across various media platforms, uh, you know, responding to the president, his message to Congress, um, you know, if the recent press reports, as well as today's uh, White House press conference or any indication, there's a lot to be concerned about mm -hmm. in what the president is going to be communicating to Congress. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yes, you will have members of the Black Caucus actively engaged in responding and giving their thoughts and constructive criticisms to what we anticipate will be a discussion about, uh, you know, cutting spending in the discretionary budget, which helps invest in our communities and things like school and things like health care and things like jobs training um, in favor of, uh, you know, frankly, more more of an investment um, in kind of defense infrastructure. So, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. we think that the real infrastructure in the country in terms of, uh, you know, roads, bridges, 
uh, you know, transportation infrastructure, to toll roads, back roads, you name it, needs some more investment. Um, you know, we, of course, care about uh, protecting our country, and we care about our military men and women, and we care about our veterans. Um, but, you know, adding an extra $54 billion to already an annual half a trillion dollar investment in military while taking that $54 billion and putting it on the backs of working families across this country, that's probably not the way to make America great again. That's and right. so, that's you know, right. our, our members are going to be actively engaged in responding to what we anticipate will be a message of, you know, cut, cut investment in our communities and give billionaires and millionaires tax cuts. So we anticipate that's going to be kind of the thrust of the policy proposals he's going to preview for Congress, and the members of the Congressional Black Caucus will be actively engaged in responding in an appropriate fashion across various media. Yeah. So, so Pat, you know, what is, you know, I find it interesting, you know, personnel, and Danielle went into this a bit, personnel is policy. And you were really engaged in the fight around the confirmation of Attorney General Jeff Sessions. But that was one of the few times in history that I can recall seeing a sitting senator, Cory Booker, came out strongly against his confirmation. Uh, You saw Cedric Richmond, again, uh, chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, and John John Legend, John Lewis. A living legend. A living legend. Oh, look at you. Making it happen. (laughs) Um, A living legend in in so many ways, you know, who isn't just a civil rights leader, but has continued kind of that advocacy um, in Congress and had kind of a number of kind of bipartisan um, wins. You know, so you had these three kind of leaders of the Congressional Black Caucus stand up and say, listen, we have major concerns because of this nomination. Um, And ultimately, he was confirmed. But what does it say to you when you put people like a Jeff Sessions at the Department of Justice? What signal um, do you think he's trying to say? I think he's making it clear where his focus is, particularly around issues around criminal justice. But love your thoughts. on Yeah, no, I I think that's right. And uh, Danielle kind of referenced this. Uh, She talked about the dog whistles that we heard on the campaign. And I think what we've seen in the opening weeks of this administration is uh, a president, we can debate the uh, legitimacy of that, uh, <laughs> trying to make good on those uh, right. promises and those campaign uh, promises. Uh, interestingly enough, during today's press conference, uh, for, former Representative Mulvaney, who's now the director of OMB, opened up with a discussion of the skinny budget that we'll see later on today. Mm-hmm. And the skinny d- budget is basically just the top lines of the budget that we'll see a month from now. But they represent the policy prescriptions that this administration is basically proposing. And you see, uh, like uh, Fabrice kind of referenced earlier, a drastic cut in the programs that are important to communities of color and uh, a dramatic increase in defense spending. Mm-hmm. And what that, what and Representative Moving said himself that this skinny budget is essentially, they tried to distill down uh, Trump's promises and all of his campaign rhetoric into like one document. And so this skinny budget, uh, budget is basically the like budgetary manifestation of all of the dog whistles and all of the tr- troubling mm-hmm. rhetoric that we heard during the campaign. So I think people have, uh, you know, just cause to to have concern and to be vigilant in in their monitoring of this administration and uh, you know Godspeed to Congressional Black Caucus and other you know progressive leaders on the Hill who are who are fighting who are resisting this yeah Um, as we get ready to head to the end of the break 
I'd love Fabrice, Pat, and Danielle to answer this question. Um, what does the resistance look like if it looks different at all for black communities? And you know, Trump loves to follow on Twitter, and we have a lot of great listeners on the Leslie Marshall Show. So can you give it to me in 140 characters or less? Danielle, what does the resistance look like for communities of color or black community? Holding people accountable. Ooh, yeah. Pat. Unapologetically speaking truth to power. Cannot be afraid in this environment. You, that was a Facebook post. <laughs> Fabrice. <laughs> uh, the resistance, the resistance is about speaking up. All right. You heard it here on the Leslie Marshall Show. Fabrice, Pat, Danielle, thank you so much for joining us. This is Michelle Jawanda. I'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening. This is the Leslie Marshall Show.